0: This is the Bible in Wenya Day 93 How to Love Four bullets hit Pope John Paul II two of them lodging in his lower intestine the others hitting his left hand and right arm This assassination attempt of the Pope in May 1981 left him severely wounded and with considerable blood loss his health was never the same again In July 1981 the perpetrator Ali Akkar was sentenced to life imprisonment. Pope John Paul II asked people to pray for my brother Akkar, whom I have sincerely forgiven. Two years later, he was to take the hand of Ali Akkar, then in prison, and quietly tell him that he'd forgiven him for what he'd done, even though this would-be killer had not asked for forgiveness. He developed a friendship over the years, meeting Akkar's mother, in 1987, and his brother a decade later. In June 2000, Akka was pardoned by the Italian president at the Pope's request. In February 2005, Akka sent a letter to the Pope wishing him well. When the Pope died on the 2nd of April 2005, Akka's brother Adrian gave an interview saying that Akka and his entire family were grieving and that the Pope had been a great friend to them. Pope John Paul II's response of love. And mercy is exemplary. God's love and mercy is even more extraordinary because at the cross of Jesus, pardon is complete. Love and justice mingle. Truth and mercy meet. From Psalm 40.
1: I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha! Aha! be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God.
0: Do not delay. Love and truth. Jesus personified God's love, but he also said, I'm the truth. The Holy Spirit pours God's love into your heart, but is also the spirit of truth. Truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. David says, I do not conceal your love and your truth. He prays, may your love and your truth always protect me. He does not see love and truth as mutually exclusive in any sense, but rather as complementary. The truth about God is that he loves you. He is righteous and faithful, and he brings justice upon the earth. As love and truth go together, so do justice and mercy. The concepts of righteousness and justice are very closely related in Scripture. In this passage, it's on the basis of his knowledge of God's righteousness that David pleads for God's mercy. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. Sin binds us. We need God's mercy and forgiveness so that we can see clearly. Lord, may your love and your truth always protect me.
1: New Testament from Luke 9 About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake... They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and made him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village.
0: Love and Mercy Have there been mountaintop experiences of the presence of God in your life when you felt extraordinarily close to Jesus? This passage begins with such an experience. Jesus takes Peter, John, and James onto a mountain to pray. As Jesus is praying, they see him transfigured before them. They see his glory. Peter says to Jesus, Master, this is a great moment. They become deeply aware of God, they hear God say, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. However, like the disciples who came down from the mountain, there comes a time when you too must descend. Mountaintops inspire us, but valleys mature us. The tough realities of life awaited the disciples at the bottom. Failure in their ministry, lack of understanding and rivalry But the experience of the mountain can help you to see your life down below in a new and different way. Jesus calls his followers to a love that is all-embracing. He calls you to welcome people. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Welcome people regardless of what they can do for you. How you welcome people really matters. Some people are warm and welcoming, others are not. Some churches are warm and welcoming, others are not. I've been hugely inspired by many of the churches we visited and the welcome they give to every person who arrives at their services. They seem to have a profound understanding that in welcoming people, they welcome Jesus. And in welcoming Jesus, they welcome the one who sent him. John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Jesus replied, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. Except people beyond your own immediate circles, denomination and traditions. If they're not against Jesus, they're for him. Welcome them as such. On the other hand, do not be surprised if you are not always welcomed. Even Jesus was not always welcome. As Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, he sent messengers ahead of him who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him. My immediate response to not being welcomed would be similar to that of James and John, to seek revenge. When the disciples saw how Jesus was treated, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? However, Revenge is not the right response. Jesus turned and rebuked them. Jesus, who is the truth, and who was to take God's justice on himself, on the cross, shows us what it means to love even our enemies and have mercy on them. Lord, help me to love like Jesus in an all-embracing way. Help me never to seek revenge, but to extend mercy and love even to my enemies. Old Testament, from Numbers 35 and 36
1: On the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to give the Levites towns to live in from the inheritance the Israelites will possess, and give them pasture lands around the towns. Then they will have towns to live in and pasture lands for the cattle they own and all their other animals. The pasture lands around the towns that you give the Levites will extend a thousand cubits from the town wall. Outside the town, measure two thousand cubits on the east side, two thousand on the south side, two thousand on the west, and two thousand on the north with the town in the center. They will have this area as pasture land for the towns. Six of the towns you give the Levites will be cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone may flee. In addition, give them forty-two other towns. In all, you must give the Levites forty-eight towns, together with their pasture lands. The towns you give the Levites from the land the Israelites possess are to be given in proportion to the inheritance of each tribe. Take many towns from a tribe that has many, but few from one that has few. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites, and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge from the avenger, so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. These six towns you give will be your cities of refuge. Give three on this side of the Jordan and three in Canaan as cities of refuge. These six towns will be a place of refuge for Israelites and for foreigners residing among them, so that anyone who has killed another accidentally can flee there. If anyone strikes someone a fatal blow with an iron object, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. Or if anyone is holding a stone and strikes someone a fatal blow with it, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. Or if anyone is holding a wooden object and strikes someone a fatal blow with it, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death. When the avenger comes upon the murderer, The avenger shall put the murderer to death. If anyone with malice aforethought pushes another or throws something at them intentionally so that they die, or if out of enmity one person hits another with their fist so that the other dies, that person is to be put to death. That person is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when they meet. But if without enmity, someone suddenly pushes another, or throws something at them unintentionally, or without seeing them, drops on them a stone heavy enough to kill them and they die, then since that other person was not an enemy and no harm was intended, the assembly must judge between the accused and the avenger of blood according to these regulations. The assembly must protect the one accused of murder from the avenger of blood, and send the accused back to the city of refuge to which they fled. The accused must stay there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with holy oil. But if the accused ever goes outside the limits of the city of refuge to which they fled, and the avenger of blood finds them outside the city, the avenger of blood may kill the accused without being guilty of murder. The accused must stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may they return to their own property. This is to have the force of law for you throughout the generations to come, wherever you live. Anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of witnesses, but no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Do not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die. They are to be put to death. Do not accept a ransom for anyone who has fled to a city of refuge and so allow them to go back and live on their own land before the death of the high priest. Do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land, and atonement cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed except by the blood of the one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. Numbers chapter 36 The family heads of the clan of Gilead, son of Machiah, the son of Manasseh, who were from the clans of the descendants of Joseph, came and spoke before Moses and the leaders, the heads of the Israelite families. They said, When the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land as an inheritance to the Israelites by lot, he ordered you to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Now suppose they marry men from other Israelite tribes, then their inheritance will be taken from our ancestral inheritance and added to that of the tribe they marry into and so part of the inheritance allotted to us will be taken away. When the year of jubilee for the Israelites comes, their inheritance will be added to that of the tribe into which they marry, and their property will be taken from the tribal inheritance of our ancestors. Then at the Lord's command, Moses gave this order to the Israelites. What the tribe of the descendants of Joseph is saying is right. This is what the Lord commands for Zelophehad's daughters. They may marry anyone they please, as long as they marry within their father's tribal clan. No inheritance in Israel is to pass from one tribe to another, for every Israelite shall keep the tribal inheritance of their ancestors. Every daughter who inherits the land in any Israelite tribe must marry someone in her father's tribal clan, so that every Israelite, will possess the inheritance of their ancestors. No inheritance may pass from one tribe to another, for each Israelite tribe is to keep the land it inherits. So Zelophehad's daughters did as the Lord commanded Moses. Zelophehad's daughters, Mala, Teza, Hoglah, Milcah, and Noah, married their cousins on their father's side. They married within the clans of the descendants of Manasseh son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in their father's tribe and clan. These are the commands and regulations the Lord gave through Moses to the Israelites on the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho.
0: Love and Justice The whole of Israel's national life was directly governed by God. It was operating in a very different world to our own. Some of the laws do have a universal application. Others were specific to ancient Israel. Here we see the beginnings of a code of legal practice that was specific to ancient Israel. Capital punishment for murder was an expression of the sanctity of human life. It was because the taking of a human life was so serious that the penalty needed to be so severe. This was a society in which the alternative Life imprisonment, for example, was not really practical. We see here a distinction was made between murder, with malice and forethought, and what was effectively manslaughter, without hostility and unintentionally. We see the beginnings of the right of trial by jury, that is, by the people. Those accused of a crime are to appear before the community in court. The community is to judge. The avenger of blood was not taking private vengeance. The matter had to be brought before the court, the assembly. By more than one witness and the decision was made by the court, there had to be really good evidence. There must be no bribery. The New Testament makes a distinction between the dealings of the state and personal morality. Governing authorities are established by God, and the one in authority is God's servant to do you good. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. The state is concerned with the protection of others. To stand by and allow injustice would actually be unloving and unchristian. It would be to allow evil to go unchecked and to ignore the pain of the victims. Yet, in personal morality, we're told, both by Jesus and the Apostle Paul, not to take revenge. This attitude of love and forgiveness is not to deny justice, but rather it is an expression of trust in God's ultimate justice. As we trust in God's justice, we are empowered to imitate his love. As Miroslav Volf writes, the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. He explains that when we know that the torturer will not eternally triumph over the victim, we are free to rediscover that person's humanity and imitate God's love for them. The distinction between our own morality and that of the state creates a tension within us all. We are all individuals with a command from Jesus not to retaliate or take revenge. We are also citizens of the state with a duty to prevent crime and bring wrongdoers to justice. It's not easy to hold this tension, but an attitude of love requires that we do. Our motive should always be love and justice, not retaliation or revenge. In every situation, we need to act with an attitude of love. Lord, help me to combine a passion for truth and justice with an attitude of love and mercy. Pepper adds, In Luke 9 verse 46, it said, An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. I can't believe that the disciples are arguing again about who is the greatest. Well, at least they're honest. In verse 48 it says, For whoever is least among you all is the greatest. True humility is a beautiful and inspiring thing.